No, that I'd been playing in the Fort Worth Vaqueros League for a few games last fall, but this was my first game with the DBG team. If you were giving yourself a uh, grade on a scale of one to ten, like they do, what would, grade would you give yourself? Four to four and a half. <laughs> that bad. That's harsh grading. I had two moments where I was sprinting down to catch a pass, you know, a quick break, and literally fell over, so... Wait, you fell over just because you were running, or did somebody yes. trip you? No, on my own, just running. So you think four and a half is a, good, is a fair grade for <laughs> falling over on your own? No, that's my, for my, my two saves and goal. So if you subtracted the two saves and goal, what grade would you give yourself? Three. All right. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to Third Degree, the podcast. My name is Peter, and joining me today for a fun-filled post-victory episode, we have a special guest. We don't have Dan Crook again. I don't know why we don't have Dan Crook, but in his place is somebody that sounds awfully a lot like him, our newest third degree member and covering North Texas soccer for us uh, is John Leonard. Hello, John. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Dan and I actually played together last night in a rec league game, and I got to prove that I'm in better shape than Dan is. Really? <laughs> <laughs> John, if you had to compare yourself to a professional soccer player anywhere globally, uh, who would you most say your style is like? Chad Ochocinco. No, professional soccer player. <laughs> He's technically getting paid to play in the UPSL. It's not much, but it is technically professional. Okay. All right. And, uh, <laughs> of course, also joining us, uh, the editor and founder of Third Degree Net and uh, the Dallas Morning News. Well, not founder of the Dallas Morning News, but his posted there is Buzz Carrick. Come in, buzzard. Hello, Peter. How you doing? Well, we uh, have a good podcast because we are bathing in the sunshine of victory as FC Dallas late in the game grab victories from the jaws in which they had placed victory into the jaws of defeat after giving up a one-goal lead uh, with some poor set-piece uh, marking uh, and uh, and end up winning the game 2-1. to one. And I think this week I actually have the score correct. Dallas beating Colorado 2-1. to one. Uh, There were lots of really interesting things to talk about coming out of this game. What was your favorite part, Buzz? Well, obviously, it was the contribution of the young players, uh, you know, missing some big heavy hitters to international play. Um, Acosta and Grezzo in the midfield, you know, they, they stuck in some young players. Uh, Edwin Cirillo, 18-year-old, homegrown, making his home uh, MLS pro debut, not just home debut, pro debut. And then uh, Pablo Rangis, who, despite being uh, a sort of marquee name in a lot of fans' eyes, is still actually a very young player. So those guys both performed exceedingly well in midfield. And then Jesus Ferreira came in and was... Uh, not statistically dominating, but at least made a very positive influence with his possession play and getting forward and running a high line and helping the shape be the way it needed to be. So that for me, that was the big highlight was the three young guys doing a really nice job. It's argue you could make the argument that the assist he had on the opening goal was a scenario where Baji probably isn't found in the box and able to make that same pass as uh, Ferreira was. No, it's certainly true that Ferreira was running a better line, and it's certainly true that he's a better passer, much better touch, 
Um, he wasn't getting pressured ex- uh, super heavily. Uh, Colorado was definitely laying off in the first half, but um, still the awareness to make the turn and find the open player and find Michael Barrios, uh, those are all really nice things. And when you look talking about a young, uh, basically 18, 19-year-old player, the, that's really exciting to see, and it makes you think that maybe he'll go again this week. Um, I thought the game was interesting because I was a bit concerned that Lucci had waited too long to make substitutions. Um, and uh, the ones that he made uh, obviously uh, didn't come fast enough because uh, obvi- then Colorado scores their goal, ties it 1-1. Um, but it was it, am I wrong in thinking that in a weird, ironic way, Colorado scoring a goal and tying the game opened a door for Lucci to be brave to make the substitutions of Ferreira um, and Tom, sorry, Thomas Roberts and the Cobra. I think that's fair. I mean, in the first half, uh, Colorado was not dangerous at all. It was really only set plays uh, and maybe a couple of counterattacks that looked dangerous. And then second half, they were a completely different team. They overloaded the left. They they basically denied Orangis the ball completely. And so the first sub uh, is basically to solve that problem, the mascara for Orangis. That was a pretty obvious change when Orangis couldn't even find the ball. Maybe he had three touches or something in the second half. And then... Um, as you say, just about when he got Mascara on before he could even do anything, Colorado scored. And you're right that that goal let Lucci basically be aggressive and let him be uh, rolling the dice and go into a player. I didn't think we would see play for quite a while. Cobra, uh, Andresic, and then and also Thomas Roberts off the bench. I, I thought we might see him if it was going really well and we had a good FC Dallas lead that uh, the team could work with. But um those two guys did a nice job. I mean, they hardly were in the game enough to make a judgment, but certainly they were both involved in the goal. That was exciting. As far as Thomas Roberts goes, I'm wondering if maybe that's the only time we're ever going to see him in an FC Dallas shirt before his birthday and subsequent sale to Bayern Munich. So you may want to savor that delicious assist for as long as you can. But I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about Cobra. Um, You know, uh, I have been extremely skeptical uh, about his signing, the fact that he's uh, essentially a no-name out of a middling European league, uh, and there was way too much hype uh, built around uh, them bringing this guy in. Um, and and sure enough, we find out in training camp maybe he's not very good and he's not very fast, but I do want to give a little bit of credit where credit is due. Um, he did bring a level of energy and passion and kind of just overall... Um, you know, passion that we we don't typically see out a lot out of a lot of Dallas players. Well, he he gave us in that game, uh, gave us the watchers exactly what we've been talking about all spring with him. You know, he does work his tail off. He is super passionate, super fired up, lots of energy that you can feed off of. You know, also not having the space to be able to separate. You know, it was an extraordinarily nice pass from Roberts to split three or four defenders to get the ball to him. And as usual, he took a touch and then had the, and fired the ball right at the keeper. So, I mean, that is exactly what he is. He, he played the way he always plays every time we've ever watched him in a scrimmage. And I don't know if uh, – I think John's seen him a couple times too. So I don't think that we saw anything out of the ordinary there. You do have to give him credit for being what he is. And if it's anything, it's going to be a goal poacher and hopefully that's an asset uh, that Dallas can use. All right, but let me—I do want to point out because you brought up a—you brought up a very good uh, aspect of that play. You can't we make the argument that a uh, a top-notch MLS quality striker 
receives that ball and puts it in the back of the net and doesn't even give Howard an opportunity to save it. Oh, yeah, Martinez uh, buries that. You know, Dom, uh, Dom Dwyer probably buries that too. I mean, that's that's kind of the question mark for, with Cobra is um, – and the same one it is with Christian Coleman is like you can be in the right place, but if you can't finish, that's a different question. So, I mean, hopefully – it's just a case with Cobra of him still getting used to the league and getting used to defenses. I mean, hopefully he can be an asset. I don't want the guy to not be an asset. I'm just saying to this point, his asset that he's a value to the team so far is all only in his work ethic and his attitude, which are both fantastic. So you can't knock him. It's just, you know, I don't know that it's going to help the team win games. Uh, you know, I really there's there's an aspect of Cobra that's winning me over, which is the really funny quote after the game about, you know, this would be a lot easier if I had a girlfriend. And, um, you know, I thought that was really funny. And I like the way that he uh, handles the media and, and, you know, the club tried to have fun with the over aggressive uh, high five with Reggie. I love all of that. But here's the thing. I will forego personality and media savvy and all of that for a good first touch and a world-class finish because all I want everybody to realize is back in the day, this team used to have a guy named Jason Christ who was an absolutely deadly finisher, but he was about as fun to talk to as a pile of bricks. Um, and Jason was deadpanned. Uh, he had no time for people uh, and just really didn't ever want to do anything with anything other than the ball itself. But he scored a lot of damn goals. And at this point for this team, I'd take a lot more of that and a whole lot less of social media fun. Yeah, he's a Cobra is a huge personality. I mean, he's a lot of fun. It would be great if he turned out to be great. I mean, it would be we haven't had a personality like this since Blas Perez, or you maybe even going back to Ariel Graziani, who, despite being an incredible handful and pain in the butt, scored bags of goals. And in the end, that's what matters above all else is are you scoring and are you putting it away? And right now, even the thing is, is like people will say, give the guy a chance. Let's see if he can score some goals. Well, he trains every day and they have scrimmages in training and they have scrimmages against other teams. He's not scoring bags of goals in those scenarios either. So it's not like they're like, He's being benched for nothing. He's like, he's not beating out Jesus Ferreira. So until he does that, he's not going to play very much. And just to put things into perspective, Christian Coleman scored bags of goals in practice, right? Yes. He, he was, when he was relaxed and confident, he would have days where he would just be on fire and just knock in goal after goal after goal. And then he would also have days where he wouldn't. It just would depend. He was a little bit streaky, but, you know, he, he definitely on certain days. And, the, and and when he was in form like that was when you would see him get opportunities and get starts, you know, yeah. and it's just, it wouldn't happen in the game. It would he would, I don't know, panic. Who knows what it is. It's probably mental. It almost always is mental when you're talking about that kind of ability. Well, it was another performance uh, for Paxton Pomacall that just continues uh, to dump fresh coal onto the uh, hype train fire. And he just uh, continues to throw out, uh, performance after performance with uh, a kind of a complete picture of a guy that we all really, really um, can, you know, really can enjoy watching uh, as his career matures, just even over the course of three games. Every game there appears to be something slightly different and additional that he adds into his game uh, that is just really fun to watch. Yeah, you know, when you when you watch the emergence of a young player, you know, it's hard not to get excited about it, you know, and and he's a guy who is 
in, in many ways, and it's remarkable when you think about how well he's playing, he's still learning how to play in this league. You know, he's played very few games. So every game, it's something new for him and it's a new experience for him. And he's finding new ways to produce. And in this game, he even played in a different position. He played a deeper role. You know, he wasn't the higher uh, guy with more freedom. He was the deeper sort of um, linking eight, almost next to um, Cirillo's six. So, uh, I mean, it's super exciting. you You can't help but get hyped watching a kid like that grow. Did we see any improvement in the team in terms of the fact that because of the missing pieces and the insertion of Arangis and kind of the switch of the middle three into, um, um, uh, you know, the switch of the middle three uh, from what they had been playing, do you feel like uh, that you saw a better version of an attacking team than we have been seeing? Uh, I don't know if it was better. I uh, I liked... Uh, the one thing I thought I really liked from Arangis is that he kept <clears throat> varying his attack um, angles, his the way he was the, the going at the defense. Uh, so in particular, like in the first half, I thought they did a much better job having possession higher up the field. But I don't think necessarily it got a lot more opportunities than they have in previous weeks. A lot of Arangis' actions, once he got the ball, were a little bit sideways and a little bit backwards more than I would like, uh, you know, trying to retain possession, which is fine. But, you know, one of the things they've been working on with the team is trying to get more aggressive in the final third and go at people and get in behind. So certain aspects of it were really nice, but overall I thought it was kind of just about the same. They only created like two or three more shots over the course of the game from the previous uh, game, which was uh, a good amount. You know, it's better, but it's not as good as it, uh, Needs to be, hopefully. So, uh, you know, it's about the same for me, I thought. So uh, the question I guess I should ask is, uh, should we take anything away positive or negative specific to Arangi's inclusion? Because that's a guy who I think a lot of people were really surprised wasn't starting at the beginning of the year. You know, there's this, a lot of people have this concept that he's the next Mauro Diaz. And, you know, I watch him play and I, I just don't really quite yet get it. Well, I, I, what I do like from him is I do like some of his uh, set play service. I like some of his crosses. I like some of his corners. I, I do like the times where he actually has chosen to be play short. Some of them have been good choices. But uh, for me, what with him, the problem with him is it still it looks great. The possession is nice. Some of the passing is nice. But nothing really comes of it. It doesn't create any real chaos. It doesn't create any... Uh, stuff on the stat sheet, you know, he in in 12 MLS games now, he says yet to register a goal or an assist. Now, granted, you have to have help from your teammates. Don't get me wrong, but just compare him, if you will, to how effective you, Paxton Pomichol seems when he plays. How aggressive Paxton is about dribbling through the defense and splitting the defense. How aggressive his passes is and how it pulls the defense out of shape. You know, Paxton has played 12 games in his career as well. And has an assist. So it came in the last game. But it's not it's it's not just the statistics of it or the completion of the passes percentages or the quote unquote key passes and all that kind of stuff. Use the eye test on it when you watch it. Does Arangis create chaos and disorder in the back line? Does he create scoring opportunities or does he not? And for me that's that's a thing. I don't see him tearing apart defenses like Mauro Diaz did, you know, I, obviously he's much younger. So 
It's a work in progress. It's a project. Obviously, I'm hopeful that someday he's going to be a fantastic player for this club. It's just right now, I don't think he's raising the level of the team when he's in the team. When I when I watch, and I think the reason why I'm frustrated by that is because Pax is playing a position further, uh, you know, back in the field, and and isn't always playing an attacking position. And I just don't see enough of that mentality out of Arangis. It's it's not dissimilar to the some of the frustrations I have with Mascara, who you know just seems really reluctant to take on defenders and and do some of the uh, flair stuff. Uh, for lack of a better term, that I think we expect out of those guys. So, you know, maybe we'll get our opportunity to see more out of uh, Pablo as the as time goes by. Uh, yeah. I'm just, at this point, I'm very much, uh, uh, you know, I can't think of the phrase, but I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not quite sold that he's, uh, you know, the yeah. answer to the team. Well, just ask yourself this, is like, is he had a positive first half for sure, I'll give him that. Right now, do you think he deserves to be in there over Brian Acosta or Santiago Mascara? You know, if those guys are available, and I don't, I don't think the answer right now is yes. Now, well, a lot of it may just be confidence on his part. You know, give him, let's get him some time. Let's get him integrated in the team. You know, we'll see how it goes under Lucci. I'm not writing him off. I'm just saying I'm not ready to bench Brian Acosta for him. Yeah. Now, if you play him uh, in in uh, or excuse me, if you play Pablo in Mascara's position, I'm interested in seeing that. But here's the other thing: I want a guy that's going to go at defenders. They really need that out of that position. Um, to, to really make this formation effective in the way that at least I in, uh, interpret that it should be played. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure I've seen that out of him yet. No, he definitely is not a run-at-people guy. That definitely is not going to be his look. I mean, if you use him out there, he's going to drift inside like as a you know, false wing like Diaz did when he played that spot. Yeah. You know, Mascara hasn't done a good enough job going at people. I agree with you that that's important in this, in this formation. I actually thought Baji did a pretty nice job with that. Now, granted, Baji's miss is egregious and that's the kind of miss that can get you sat but you know for the most part he actually did a nice job of overlapping and getting him behind and had a couple opportunities to score so i i uh i don't know that uh you might not see baji again you know because you're right that that formation needs a, a barrios balance and it's not getting it from mascara and it's definitely not going to get it from Arangis. so uh i think there's a good chance that you might uh as we go forward and see Baji again. Yeah, the the, the Baji miss uh, is uh, so reminiscent of things that we saw with Coman last year. It's it's kind of maddening, uh, and it it just just make you it does make you wonder if there's some sort of infection or something in the Dallas locker room with strikers because that that's just the most uh, insanely maddening uh, opportunity to have uh, flubbed in the way that he did it. And and uh, am I incorrect in thinking that even though he was offside last week? He had another one very similar to that that he missed that may have been called offside ad, even if he had hit it. Am I am I thinking of two different things? I don't remember. I'd have to look specifically. I, I, mean, I seem to recall that, though. I, I, I could have sworn there's been about maybe three or four different occasions now where he's had, uh, I, I hate to use this metaphor, but a Wando against Belgium moment where you've had something that just gets served up on a silver platter for you and it ends up, six rows deep okay the one player who i i definitely feel like isn't getting enough hype and press is edwin cirillo who got his first start is just a teenager himself 
and somewhat surprisingly seems to have uh, uh, hop, uh, leaped and hopped over Cervania. Um, I really thought he was quite good in this game and did exactly what we needed uh, in that role filling in for Grezo. Yeah, he jumped Cervania uh, right at the end of spring training when Cervania banged his knee. And then Cirillo got a game um, with like the first team and was fantastic. He was really good, just like you saw in this game. You know, and I think Cirillo's long-term career is as a six. Now he can play like a little bit of an eight hybrid, but I think this is his God-given position. Now we're not going to bench. See, Grezzo benched over a, an 18-year-old kid. Grezzo's playing some of the best ball of his career, but it is super exciting to know that if and when. Grezzo gets called up. You've got a guy like this um, ready to go. And the, the tough part for uh, Cervania, of course, is that he has lost out to a player two years younger than him, you know, and partially because he banged his knee and had that MCL strain when he did. Um, now, he came out of the U-20 CONCACAS in great form with a great attitude, feeling really good about himself. I'm imagining that he'll go back into the U-20s and probably have the same thing happen. I mean, maybe he won't start if they bring in some superstar guys that play that same position, but there's a good chance he will be starting uh, and playing a lot of games and, and maybe he can rebound. I will say that watching him train that he doesn't look like he's uh, in a funk mentally. You know, he's still working hard and training really hard and really positive, you know, a good looking young man that works hard, and trains hard. So you like those things about him. He seems to be mentally tough, so I'm not real worried about him, but uh, you know, still long-term good prospect Cervania. It's just Cirillo looks fantastic. I, you know, I was a big, uh, bandwagon supporter of his coming out of the academy and I thought he was I couldn't wait for them to sign him and so I'm real excited he's doing well and Colorado just didn't pose too much of any danger in terms of uh, consistent threat and attack but the defense looked uh, uh, solid overall I thought Hedges uh, and Ziegler were great um, Reggie obviously uh, we were relieving uh, very relieved to see back to his old self but it was the uh, uh, kind of return great performance from Hollingshead uh, after kind of a shaky start when he was asked to play on the right instead of the left, I, th- I thought Red uh, Ryan was fantastic in the game and and um, you know didn't and didn't struggle too much defensively. That was a big bounce back game for him. Yeah, he looked really good. That was probably one of his best games he's ever played for FC Dallas. So I, I thought he was a well deserved man of the match. Terrific performance. The whole defense, as you say, was collectively good. You know, I, I grant you, like you say, that Colorado isn't a big threat. Their biggest threats were. Um, Set, set pieces, which was definitely a problem, and uh, some counterattacking. But some of that counterattacking happens because you had a young midfielder in front of you. So, uh, and boy, could you not see why uh, Kellen Acosta has not been recalled back to the national team? Uh, you know, uh, the drop off in quality in play from that guy over the last two years has been alarming to say the least. Uh, and I, you know. I'm sure there's still a ton of quality left in there. I'm not 100% sure why Colorado assigned him to a big, giant, fat contract because I still uh, am not sure that Kellen's head is right with ball, to use a phrase, a turn of phrase from a friend of mine. Yeah, I don't I don't really have an answer for what has gone south with him. You know, I, I do wonder if maybe there's some chronic um, problems with, like, the, the groin or the hernias, sports hernias that he was having here before he left. Um, I think I don't know him well enough to speak to whether his mind is at, I mean, he, he looked, you know, okay from the stance in terms of his body language and the way he was sort of whole carrying himself. So 
I, I, you're right. I, I really just wonder. Well, part of it, too, of course, is that Colorado doesn't have a lot of help around him. He's having to do a lot of work by himself, and maybe he's not playing the position he wants to play. Well, but. they've got him shoved off over kind of in the left in a weird yeah. midfield diamond thing. That It just, I don't know, it just, he, uh, and again, yet another game where I didn't get to watch it in person, so I'm having to watch it on television, so maybe I'm missing pieces, but uh, there just seems to be the the spirit that Kellen used to show back in the day just seems to have evaporated, and I can't even think of the last time I watched Kellen Acosta, Acosta boss a soccer game like he once used to do. And, th- you know, this dates back prior to his Gold, call, uh, gold Cup call-up uh, when he was still with Dallas. It's been a really, really long time since I have watched Kellen Acosta play a soccer game and came away and went, holy crap, that guy is a future star in the making. Yeah, he used to be such a vivacious personality, you know, really infectious, really happy, really bubbly. And I think you're right, the last couple of years he hasn't looked like that, you know, and I don't know whether, you know, his, his career's not going the way he wanted and it's kind of wearing him on, on a little bit. I, I Again, I just don't know him well enough to be able to speak to that. But, um, you know, I, I agree with you that he's not perhaps mentally more than anything the guy he used to be. And it's a shame. I, 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 I want so much success for that kid. You know, he was always so nice when he was here and it's just not, this is not happening for him right now. Well, Dallas uh, takes their record to Utah to face off against a team that uh, seems to want to compete against Dallas and starting as many kids as possible. Real Salt Lake, who I think, am I saying this right? They started six homegrowns yeah, yeah. on Saturday in their yeah. in their game. Yeah. Um, so uh, Dallas goes there. Uh, uh, I'm assuming everybody will be back and ready to go. There aren't any injuries to Grezo or Acosta um, that I'm aware of. So uh, do you think uh, Lucci goes back to what he had prior to the well, Colorado Lucci, game? Lucci said that the integration of those two guys back into the team is a sort of case-by-case basis. And he indicated that Grezzo having been around the team longer and, and part of the concept longer would be really easy to slip back in and get right back into the team. Um, thus intimating that perhaps Brian Acosta might take a little bit longer, you know, might maybe not start him this week. I, you know, as you say, Arangis didn't do terrible and, you know, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to go Grezzo, Paxson, Arangis again, you know, uh, if if you're kind of worried that maybe Acosta can't seamlessly come right back in, I do know that they were supposed to train Thursday and Friday, both of them with FC Dallas. So, um, you know, this is one of those games where Lucci's going to have to, I think, feel it out on Thursday and Friday of this week, see how he feels as a coach, watching training, watching how those guys are integrating back in, and then he'll make the decision probably you know, even Saturday morning uh, which way he's going to go. You know, it, things are so different in 2019 with this league versus so long ago when it was largely powered by 30-year-olds and college students or people just out of college. Um, and to think that between these two teams, uh, it, more than an entire starting 11 uh, was uh, started on Saturday by these two teams uh, between the pair of them. Uh, and, and Real Salt Lake has quietly been, uh, you know, another one of these MLS, MLS teams that have, have had success in growing their own. I'm not as cognizant of any of their uh, best players as maybe you guys are, but uh, so maybe you can, uh, you know, give us some insight as to who maybe we should be watching out for uh, from Salt Lake in terms of uh, their homegrowns. Yeah, I was actually uh, writing up about this not too long ago uh, for my big USL preview because they've been using their USL team 
uh, Real Monarchs SLC, much in the same way we've wanted to see Dallas using a team um, in the past. So one guy in particular who's uh, caught my eye, Justin Portillo, he's been uh, a fantastic midfielder that they got out of Charleston, brought him in under Petkey in 2017, early on, or, or in 2018 to USL. He's 26, so he's at the older end, but he's one of those guys that I think is going to be brought in without ever really having a, a solid chance at MLS in the past. And now he's actually, he proved definitely to me as a, as a midfielder, a holding mid, who's also really good pushing forward, kind of a 6-8 sort of hybrid. I, I like him a lot. Steve Jasso and Jordan Penyar, two of their uh, future homegrown signings. I'm going to be shocked if they're not seeing minutes this year. So Pena is a, a real proper six, a lot like Carlos Gruezo at his peak. He's the sort of guy that I feel like they're going to drop him in when Kyle Beckerman finally hangs up the dreadlocks. And uh, Steve Jasso is a right back who's, Got that similar sort of feel as Reggie Cannon definitely likes to push forward, definitely likes to make a lot of noise on offense. But when he's still in the back line, he's fantastic. And with the way Brooks Lennon is playing under Mike Petke, Brooks Lennon is somebody I've been watching. I, I think he's going to be properly, properly, really super good in MLS. I, I think he is... At 21, he is just outside making an argument for him to uh, play in the national team fully. He's been playing for the U. He played for the U20s until he turned 21. 11 games, six goals. He can play as a, a true right wing, a right back, even as a center back if they need him. One of those players that I think is going to give Dallas a lot of trouble this weekend. I I think. For, for one, Baji up against Brooks Lennon is not going to be a fun thing to watch. I think Baji's going to get bossed around back there, and it's not going to look pretty. Ferreira, I like his chances a little bit better. Barrios and Mascara would look fantastic there. It's going to be a very interesting game for sure because Petke is using a really similar philosophy to Luchi Gonzalez with terms of development and building from the back and getting a lot out of young players at a high level. And it's going to be a really fun game, I think. Buzz, obviously the big takeaway, because uh, Salt Lake's going to be a very different team in terms of style uh, and um, tactics from Colorado. For Lucci, this is really just another opportunity to try to, um, you know, integrate what he's trying to do into the team and, and, and just really figure out what his best starting 11 is and what his best formation, uh, a, var a variance of his formation is, is, is or is not going to work. Yeah, that's still where we are in the season with um, Lucci, Gonzalez, and FC Dallas. You know, they've the 4-3-3 is new this season. So they're still working out the kinks with it. You know, they showed last week that they could rotate it and accommodate a guy as a more pure 10. So I imagine this week that Lucci did some film watching to try and decide if he likes that version. Um, because you could make a case uh, of even if you brought back Grezzo and Acosta in midfield, because Acosta can play a deeper role like like Paxton did last game and try to accommodate Arangi's 
if you liked what Orangis did in the first half. So if you did that, you could actually use Paxton on the left wing, which is where I thought Paxton would start coming out of the end of last season when he had a remarkable U20 CONCACAF championship playing as a left wing. I thought he was arguably best 11 in that tournament as a left wing because he does go at people. He does tr- take people on the dribble. He does create chaos. So, you know, that's another alternative now Lucci now has in his holster, that change. So whether we'd see that or not, I, I don't know. I, I think early on you might want to go back to this early in the season. You might want to go back to what you thought your base was going to be, which is a the double linking eights with Acosta and Paxton in there. That's going to be my guess because you're still trying to find yourself and find your team. Maybe it's a little early to start experimenting completely. So that's my gut instinct that he'll go back that way. And the other big thing that's happening this weekend is it's the inaugural match for North Texas Soccer Club, NTXSC, I think I said that right, is yes. uh, playing on Saturday. And who are, I, I don't even, I'm sorry, who are they playing, John? Chattanooga Red Wolves SC. All right, so Chattanooga's coming into town. We're finally going to get to see what the uh, North Texas Soccer Club kits look like. Uh, If you haven't yet, Buzz uh, threw up earlier this week a fantastic hour-long interview with Eric Quill. There was all sorts of great little nuggets in there, uh, Buzz. I I, I thought you did a great job, and I thought he was really interesting uh, to listen to. Uh, but, John, you are our resident third-degree NTXSC expert. I was hoping maybe you could provide some insight uh, briefly uh, what you think everybody should be on the lookout for uh, on Saturday afternoon. So because the, there's going to be sort of two real formations based on a lot of the stuff we've seen Eric Quill doing It's basically whether or not the first and second teams are in the same place at the same time. So when FC Dallas is on the road, we're going to see players like some of we're we're not going to see some of those. We'll call them like the the halfway between starting and second team guys. Some of, you know, you're Thomas Roberts. Thomas Roberts, uh, Cerillo, Cervania, Ferreira, some of those guys who are, they get those first team minutes and when when both teams are playing, you know, you've got your double headers. Cervania could be on the bench as an unused sub in MLS and then go play for North Texas for 75 minutes or whatever later that day. Uh, so this weekend, I'm expecting we're we're almost certainly going to see the standard forward three of Pepe, Sealy, Romero. Those three aren't really getting those first team call-ups yet. They are pretty much exclusively League One players at the moment. Arturo Rodriguez, Alfa Sanijada are also some of those guys that I'm thinking are definitely going to be playing. Uh, Breck Evans and Callan Montgomery will be the two starting center backs. John Nelson is either going to be a sub on the bench in Salt Lake City, or he's going to start at right back for on Saturday. I think we're finally seeing Pedroso to the point where he is pretty much match fit again. And I highly, highly doubt we'll see him. I think he's actually almost certainly going to end up traveling with the first team to Utah. So that left back spot, it's it's a little up in the air. John Nelson could end up there or on the right. He's been used at both, both in training and scrimmages. And he looks 
pretty comfortable at both positions. I'm not entirely sure I would want him as my first choice as a right back. I think left back, he's just a little bit better. And I think Brian Reynolds, if he's not with the first team, is that really good right back. I think Ronaldo Thomas is going to be either starting or subbing in as a winger. If if Sealy starts, Thomas will be his sub. If Thomas starts, Sealy will be his sub. Uh, David Rodriguez as a center mid playing that sort of one of the two eight positions. Arturo is clearly that hybrid eight ten playmaker guy pushing forward with David dropping back a little bit more. So it sometimes looks like a four two three one. Sometimes it looks much more like a typical four three three we see from Lucci. Aviles is probably the primary keeper just because of what I've been seeing. And I I, I don't think they're going to have uh, uh, Kyle Zobeck playing this weekend. I, I think Zobeck is not, if he doesn't travel, he might be just with the practices with the first team still. He's generally been doing a lot more of that. All uh, right. I, awesome. That's great, John. Thank you. That's yeah. uh, that's uh, good detail. So, Buzz, out of that entire group of guys, um, yeah. you know, obviously, uh, Pepe is like the one to really keep your eye on, but yeah. there's a couple of others that I've heard you talk about. Uh, I haven't yet seen the team play, but there's a couple of other guys that you've mentioned. I've uh, specifically in the interview with Eric Quill that I'm really fascinated, uh, to see the Jada guy. And I think it's Arturo Rodriguez. Arturo Rodriguez is the most advanced of the sort of, uh, attacking midfielders in that team right now so like for example if for some reason fc dallas got five dudes hurt and you needed an attacking midfielder today he'd be the one that they would call up now in the long run his brother david rodriguez who's only 16 is the bigger prospect and the bigger more exciting like could be mls star kind of player but uh arturo is probably the best attacking player they have right now one thing that'll be really interesting to watch, I mean, other than Jata, who you talked about being such a good player, is this might be the first time we see sort of a rehab assignment. Might Ja'Cory Hayes stay in town, having just come off of his hamstring, and get some time with this team? That'll be an interesting twist to watch in terms of like how they're going to use this team and the recovery of it. So that'll, that'll be kind of fun. Jata, as you say, Jata and Pepe are the superstars of that team. Um, Arturo Rodriguez, Dante Sealy. It's pretty much the guys we've talked about quite a bit. All right, so John, you'll be there covering the uh, North Texas soccer game for us on Saturday? Yeah, I'll be uh, taking some notes there, and then I'm going to be zapruderying the game on Sunday, fine-tuning whatever uh, whatever there is to pull out of there. And fortunately, USL has said that their full data metrics platform is going to be in use for league one so we're going to get all those lovely heat maps and pass charts and all that nice data so excited Uh, yeah by the way john i'm I'm not going to charge you a licensing fee for using the terms of prudering i'll let you have that first one free okay we'll we'll work something out uh we maybe i can set up a bulk agreement for uh podcast usage is that a peter welton trademark (laughs) i I felt like i was the one that used it in in relationship to (laughs) watching sports videos in slow-mo to make uh you know refereeing decisions but whatever yeah i'm Um, with you 
Uh, maybe I'll make it public domain. Who knows? All right. So uh, let's uh, just make sure we communicate to everybody. So I, I think there's a fascinating side story about the North Texas soccer game, because if you're not going to go to Toyota Stadium to watch it in person, you can watch it online if you have an ESPN Plus account. And I think I'm understanding this correctly. If you're a fan of this club, it will actually be easier and uh, you'll be able to watch all of the North Texas Soccer Club games on ESPN Plus, which is actually easier than trying to consume all of the FC Dallas games, which are distributed amongst you know three different platforms over the course of the season. Yeah, they announced that every USL one game is on that platform, ESPN Plus. So I'm, yeah, they're all there. That's Should crazy be easy to watch them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Channel 21, which is where the uh, Dallas Salt Lake game will be on, uh, Texas 21 at 8 p.m., uh, and uh, and then they've also got their online radio broadcast. But if you want to watch North Texas soccer and you don't want to go up to the stadium or you can't make it, it will be on ESPN+, Plus, and then I'm assuming ESPN+, Plus will also hold it for on-demand later on after the fact. So that should be a lot of fun for people who want to lay eyes on that. Where, also, additionally... We still have no idea what the kits are going to look like. Neither does their head coach, which I thought was funny. But Eric Quilla said he hadn't seen them yet either <laughs> in our interview. And then thought, we really? got the, and then we found out that the fan designed uh, scarf got us all giddy because the fan designed scarf, at least one part of it, is the much desired red and blue hoop design. Is there any chance North Texas Soccer Club? rolls out red and blue hoops. No. <laughs> as much as that would be the greatest thing in the world, no. There's well, no way that's happening. I, you know what? I, I, it, I think I said this to you in a text when we saw that image. If North Texas Soccer Club rolled out in our dream kit, I, I like the division of feelings in my body would be cut half and half. I would be in, totally in love, but I'd be so pissed that FC Dallas isn't wearing those kits. Instead, it's our yeah. USL one team wearing it. So part of me really <laughs> wants to see it. And part of me really doesn't want to see it. Well, if they do do it, it'll look spectacular. And we'll be able to say, see, we told you it would look spectacular. Well, I do have kit news for everybody because the official MLS kit assignment for this weekend is very interesting. So obviously Real Salt Lake is going to roll out in their all kind of maroon with the blue sleeves uh, kit. But for Dallas, at least the initial kit assignment graphic has Dallas wearing their new white reunion shirt with white socks, but with the navy blue shorts. We've not seen that yet. Well, you remember that at the reveal of that new kit that Dan Hunt spoke of the blue shorts and actually says that's his favorite version of it. And he was going to push really hard to have that be true. And I actually asked Lucci about kits and I said I, I you guys probably don't care much about kits and he said no you'd be surprised we care a great deal about kits and they like that color mix too that uh, that white blue white so if they really are doing that that's gonna be fantastic I think it'll look much better yeah it would it would look great uh although it just seems to add to the confusion over what the whole rule uh within the league is in terms of uh you know contrasting colors light versus dark and if you went out and made all these white kits then why are you letting some teams wear dark shorts when the other team is wearing dark shorts and it's so confusing. And, and just for the record, I have sent no less than like five emails to Major League Soccer asking them specifically to have a communication to clarify all of these rules, and nobody will email me back about it. 
I don't think they actually have rules. I think that the, the all the white stuff is just Adidas being lazy, and the team's just not – they give up fighting. Oh, what, what's the story about D.C. United submitting like five different kits before they finally just gave up and said, oh, fine, give us the white one? Right. And yeah. I just think that – that the Adidas is lazy and they just the teams just give up and take whatever Adidas gives them for the alternate kit. And you saw when Dallas had that almost all blue alternate kit, the stars at night thing, that's still quote unquote white. So I really think that there almost aren't any rules other than just like, ah, that looks okay this week. Go with it. You know what I mean? Somebody's yeah. making the call. And I think it's just a dude in the operations department who thinks it's like, ah, oh, that looks fine. Yeah, there used to be, uh, uh, they, they used to tell me that the shorts part of it was a team decision. Like, the league said, no, you guys wear this shirt, and the other team's going to wear this shirt, but the shorts was a club decision. And at one point, Oscar told me that they would wear shorts dependent on what they felt like their luck was riding on. So if they had gone out and were wearing, you know, uh, the red shirts, if they were winning in white shorts, they'd stick with it. But if they lost in white shorts, the next game they'd go all red. So I guess that makes sense, but I don't know. I think I remember hearing that well, with the, with this with this Texas flag jersey, they've only ever worn the red shirts shorts. But I think I remember hearing that Oscar liked it that way. But that's the opposite of the academy. The academy pretty much always wears white shorts with that Texas flag jersey. It looks so much better. It does, man. I you know I'm not a big fan of the deconstructed Texas flag shirt, but with the white shorts, it balances out that weird white panel yeah. at the top so much better uh, really than good. everything else being red. But you know, yeah. Uh, as with many things, in fact, with as with all things, Buzz, they don't call and ask you. Yeah, they don't ask they. us, yeah. But if they do wear the blue shorts, then full credit to them, and good job, Dan Hunt, pushing for that, because it will look so much better. All right, hey, John, where could uh, fans of John Leonard uh, catch you uh, throwing out your game next around the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Uh, well, I'll be tweeting stuff all weekend from whatever thing, from everything no, I'm watching. No, 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 no. The question I'm asking is when can fans of John Leonard go out to a soccer field in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and watch you throw your game down? Oh, well, na- that'll be next Wednesday. So every Wednesday with DBGFC, it's myself and a handful of Dallas Beer Guardians and Al Matador people. We're playing in uh, the small goal soccer 6v6 league out in Carrollton. I'll tell you, Dan Crook, without hesitation, said watching you sprint down the field is a sight to behold. So if anybody wants to go check that out, I think that would be uh, good entertainment for your dollar. It's not even a dollar. You can get in for free. It's pretty hard to pass up. Even more so. All right. Well, guys, thank you very much. John, thanks for uh, participating in the pod and uh, bringing all of your uh, USL1 expertise. I know, aren't you getting ready to publish a big story for us, kind of outlining everybody um, for the season? Yeah, well, that's going to be coming together tomorrow. It's a nice little primer thing of not just here's the first game, but what the team is, what sort of the way the roster is going to be changing depending on home versus away the players to expect to play for the team over the course of 2019, a little bit about the opposition, including the fact that Chattanooga's got two players from DFW on their roster, one of whom used to play for the Dallas Texans. A little bit about the league, how to watch it. Wait, don't give it away to everybody. Let them read the story, kid. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm not saying any of it. I'm just saying here's, 
you know, it's a teaser. A All teaser right. for a teaser for a teaser. All right, that's a lot of teasing. All right, that's enough teasing. Um, Buzz, thanks very much. Oh, Buzz, did you have a prediction for uh, Saturday's FC Dallas oh. Real Salt Lake game? On the road? Oof. I think uh, this is, this is going to be a tough one. Uh, I think it'll be very difficult to win at Salt Lake, so I would imagine probably 2-1 for Salt Lake. All right, awesome. Well, guys, John, Buzz, thank you very much, uh, and thank you, good FC Dallas Curious fan, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week on Third Degree, the podcast. Third Degree.